I got so overjoyed when I saw my students being able to buy their first property and then my students quitting their job because they've done it too. I got so much more joy out of that than any money that I made because all my needs are taken care of. Hello and welcome to another episode of Get Your Fill, Financial Independence and Long Life where we explore ways to achieve those two goals. And we invite really cool, interesting people on to help us. And that's why I'm so excited. And I should have asked him ahead of time how to pronounce his name. Dustin Heiner, is that right? You're awesome. That's really good. First try. (laughs) (laughs) Dustin is the founder of Master Passive Income, which could mean that he's like a master of passive income or that he's helping you to create mastery in passive income. And probably it's a little of both. Um, he also created, he's the founder of Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference, RubeCon, and Successfully Unemployed, which is an awesome name. Um, he is a real estate property investor who was able to make enough passive income from his business to quit his job when he was 37 years old. So that's about, oh, I don't know, <laughs> 30 years earlier than many of us are going to be able to do it. Um, his podcast YouTube channel, books and courses and coaching. He uses those now to help people to quit their jobs by investing in real estate, rental properties, and to live the dream life. Dustin, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Christine. I really appreciate you having me on the show. And um, I really enjoy talking about real estate. And I, I do love real estate, but it's mo- mostly or more that it's what it affords me to do in my life. I, you know, I don't have to work for somebody else. I can get on podcasts and talk to great people like you and be able to just really enjoy life. So I really appreciate you being able to have me on to share with people how they can do the same thing. Oh. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, this whole idea of working for a living is desperately overrated and <laughs> absolutely. We want to help people to get out of that bad mindset. So tell me, Dustin, when you did, you was this something like, was your dad like a real estate mogul or did you always have this in your blood? How did you get in, involved and interested in real estate investing? Oh, definitely not. No, my I, family grew up relatively poor. My dad was a carpenter. My mom was just a, a, a server, a waitress is what they called them back then. Um, and so no, definitely not. Didn't grow up in it at all. Um, but as I grow up through life, I realized that I really liked being an entrepreneur. I liked the idea of being a business owner and eventually working for myself. That was my main kind of idea in my life. But I was always taught, just like we're all taught, that we want to go to school, get good grades. Then when we get good grades, we then go to college, get more good grades, get in thousands and thousands of dollars in debt, then take that piece of paper, it's called a degree, and hopefully go find a job and then work 40, 50 years and hopefully retire when you're done on retire on what you saved up your entire life. So I was doing that exact same thing, just like what everybody's taught, as well as I tried to start a couple businesses just because I really enjoyed it. So when I was young, I had a, a newspaper route. That's where you rode a bike with newspapers in your bags <laughs> and throw them at 5 a.m. and bang them on garage doors, waking people <laughs> up. Had a graphic and website design company, had a pizzeria and a convenience store, started those from scratch, even had a skateboard manufacturing business. Did wow. all that, but at the same time, I bought one or two rental properties, and I, I thought, you know what, I really want to be an investor, but life gets in the way, and things start happening. So my wife and I got married, and we started having one, two, three, and four, four children. But uh, Christy, I got to tell you the story of what really pushed me into 
being an investor. So when my wife had our fourth child, I was working a regular sit down nine to five job working for a county government in California. And as I'm working that job, my wife has her fourth child and I go on paternity leave. That's where the dad stays home with the mom, changes poopy diapers and bonds with the baby and helps getting food and all that sort of stuff. And so I go back to work. So I'm out for about a week and a half, two weeks, and I get back to work. And that week I get back to work on a Friday at 3.30 in the afternoon. I get a call from my boss's 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 secretary, the, the top dog. I get a call from her and she says, Dustin, would you please come to the office? And I said, sure. And then I hung up the phone and I paused for a second. I thought, why in the world would they be calling me to the office? And as I'm sitting there, I started remembering a couple months before I went on paternity leave, there was some rumors or some rumbling going on that there could potentially be layoffs in the county. And I immediately shook that off. I was, I've been working here 14, 15 years. I have great seniority. Bosses love me. No way. So I get up and then I start walking down the hallway to my boss's office. Now, this hallway isn't very long. In fact, it's kind of short, but every single step that I took, it felt like the hallway got longer and longer <laughs> and longer. And it felt like my feet became lead bricks because every single step I took, I started thinking more about my family and the potential possibility that I could be getting laid off. And so as I round the corner of the hallway, I turn the corner, I see my boss's door, his door is closed. And I see a secretary and sheepishly, she looks at me and super nice lady. She grins at me and she looks at me and says, Dustin, would you please have a seat? And she's consoling me with her eyes, you know, trying to encourage me because she knows everything about what's going on. I know nothing about what's going on. Well, I take a seat and I start thinking about my life and all this time going that job, you know, basically you're having a going to school, getting a degree, getting a job, and then hopefully being able to retire. It's like, man, is that if I get laid off right now? Was that all a waste of my life? And then I started thinking, if I don't have a job, how am I going to provide for my family? Like I had a couple of businesses, but they were not making money, really, like a couple a couple hundred bucks every, every single month. And with that, I started thinking, is that going to make me a failure as a father? Does that make me a failure as a husband, as a man trying to provide for his family? Well, as I'm sitting there, my hands get all clammy. My forehead gets all sweaty because the weight of everything is just crushing down on me. Well, the door to my boss's office opens up and out walks a coworker of mine, a lady. Uh, she walks out with a piece of paper in her hands. She is noticeably distraught, noticeably upset. She's not necessarily crying, but you can tell her world has absolutely been rocked. Well, she passes by me and my boss says, Dustin, would you please come in to my office? I get up and I go into his office and I get laid off. And remember, this is the government. Nobody gets fired or laid off for the government, but <laughs> right. I did. So if it happened to me, it could definitely happen to anybody. So I take that layoff notice and I walk back to my desk and I sit down for a minute and I realize two things sitting right then and there, Christine. The first thing I realize is I need to find another job. I need to be able to provide for my family. So I was really, really blessed, praise the Lord, to be able to find another job in the same county, a totally different department, transferred over. That was a huge blessing. The second thing that I realized right then and there, sitting in just after getting laid off, sitting at my desk, I realized I need to make sure that this never, ever happens to me again. I need to make sure that nobody has the ability to take away my ability to feed my family, to put a roof over our heads. And so that, that right then and there, that moment, I realized that whenever anybody would ask me a question, Dustin, what do you do? I would answer, well, I work for the county. I do IT work for the county, basically projecting my value as being my job. 
My value doesn't come from my job. My value comes from my God, from myself, and from my family. And as I sat there, I realized I always knew I should be an investor, but life got in the way. Right then and there, I told myself from now on, I am an investor. It may so happen that 100% of my money comes from my job. That's now my part-time job. I am a full-time investor. So fast forward the story. I bought property after property, each one making me a minimum. These are rental properties making me a minimum of $250 a month in passive income from every single property. Eventually I had 30 plus properties and I realized, my goodness, I literally don't need to work anymore. So round out the story by sharing, I was at working at this new department, um, working for a number of years, maybe three or four more years, five more years probably at most. And then I had enough money from my properties to quit my job. So I went into my new boss, great boss and everything. I said, hey boss, I'm laying you off. I'm giving you a two weeks notice. <laughs> And obviously jokingly, of course, but he said, Dustin, what are you going to do? I said, I don't have to do anything. I have real estate and that real estate makes me money without working. And so I got, I'll round out the short story by sharing. If you remember that short hallway that got longer and longer and longer when I got laid off. Well, this last walk that I took away from my job, I worked, it's, it's literally a mile and a half walk. And I worked in downtown, which I didn't want to pay for parking. So I was pretty frugal. So I would walk a mile and a half. I've done this walk a thousand times. This walk felt like I was walking on clouds because I knew I would never, ever need a job again. Because as I realized that my value doesn't come from my job, it comes from myself. And if I got paid, and everybody listening to this, you need to realize this too. If your boss paid you what your value is, what you're worth, they would not keep you. In fact, you'll know this is the way it actually works out is your boss is paying you just enough to keep you working without quitting, but not so much money that takes money out of their pocket. So if you realize that you can get paid so much more or you can make so much more money with the value that you bring, then you will find another way to make money. My way is real estate investing. So that's how I got catapulted into real estate investing because I got laid off and I knew that I needed to provide for my family. Fast forward now, I don't need to work. I quit when I was 37 years old, like you just read, that I, as I now have so much free time to literally be with my family, do whatever I want, and I'm blessed to have enough money to really not have to work a job and still put food on the table. Nice. And that's a lot of people's dream, but there's a big fear, I think. Tell me about the very first property that you bought. That's always the hardest. I mean, for me, it was absolutely the hardest. What happened when I bought my first property was I, I read a, a really, really good book. Most people have read it, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It got me the idea that there's something different than creating earned income. You know, you work a job, work an hour. And I say job is an acronym for J-O-B. You're living just over broke. And so I realized that and I started buying properties. Now, that first property was definitely the hardest because number one, I didn't know what I was doing. Number two, I didn't know how to make money. I didn't know any of that stuff. But I'll, let me give you the wrong way that I invested. This is my first property. The first property that I bought, I did the wrong way. I'll quickly give it to you, but I'll also share with you the right way now. So this is the, the wrong way. I went to, like, I was watching TV late at night, one of those infomercials at 2 a.m. They said, hey, we're coming to your town. We're going to show you how to invest in real estate. Absolutely free. It was literally all a sales pitch. So I get went there. It was a huge sales pitch. And they said, okay, everybody run to the back. It's normally $50,000. It'll be only $1,000 for this next two-day seminar. I paid that $1,000. Excited. Yeah, let's go do it. And then I went to this two-day seminar another sales pitch for more quote unquote coaching courses and all that sort of stuff 
$40,000 they wanted to teach me how to invest in rental properties. I thought, my goodness, if I had $40,000, I wouldn't give it to you. I'll just learn. Right. <laughs> Fast forward now. This is so that I learned the wrong way. The wrong way was I flew to an area. I was living in California, remember, in 2006, when I first started investing, prices were astronomical. And for how much we could rent it for, I couldn't make passive income. So I flew to Ohio. And remember, this is the wrong way. I'll quickly go over the wrong way, then I'll, I'll jump right into the right way. Flew to Ohio, found a property manager, found a realtor and a property, put them all together and bought a property. I was listening to what the guru said. This is what they tell you. What you want to do is you want to find a property, make sure you run the numbers that you're going to make a little bit of money, a little bit of money in passive income, $50 or so, or $100 maybe. And then you'll get appreciation. I personally now don't invest for appreciation. In fact, if you can see the video, the kids that I have, the four kids in the video and in my background, I'm literally going to give these properties to my kids. So I'm not worried about or concerned about appreciation. I love cash flow. So what they do is run the numbers. And then after you run the numbers, make sure you make a little bit of money, passive income. And then you spend thousands of dollars to buy the property. Then you spend even more thousands of dollars to fix up the property. Then you find a tenant to rent it out. And then you find a property manager to manage the property. Well, that's what that's the wrong way. That's what I did. And then I figured out the right way. The wrong way cost me a lot of money. And this is what happened. Within six months, my property manager started stealing from me. It was horrible. But then after everything was working out so poorly, now if I would have given up, I would not be where I am today. I knew it had to work because people have been doing it for a very, very long time. <laughs> but then what I did was I approached it because remember, I, I've, I've said I've always been entrepreneurial. I love business. I approach this differently. I said, you know what? Let me approach this as a business. All the gurus were telling me what you want to do is you buy a property and that property is your business. That's wrong. That's not what it is. I own a business and that business owns properties. This let me round out share with you exactly what that looks like. So if you're going to own a convenience store or start up a convenience store, you know, candy bars and soda machines and all that sort of stuff. Well, if you're gonna do that, you're not gonna sign a lease on a location, open the doors and set a box of candy bars there on the ground. No, if you did that, you'd go out of business in like two seconds. What you would do though, is you would build the business first. And this is the right way that you need to do when you're investing. When you build the business first, what it looks like, you're gonna get the gondolas, so there's shelving units, you're gonna get the countertops, cold storage, fountain machines, bank accounts, cash registers, insurance, employees, all that sort of stuff before you buy any inventory. Once you have that business built, then you put the inventory in your business. Same thing with real estate investing. The wrong way, I already explained that. The right way now is we build the entire business first. Then we buy a property and that property is our inventory. We now put that inventory into our business. That's how I was able to scale my business so fast. In seven years, I was able to quit my job because I had 30 plus properties because I didn't view one property as a business. I viewed my business as owning inventory. From there, I was able to scale up the business over and over again. So I'll quickly say, I realized that I could quit my job if I had enough money to cover my expenses. Well, I thought, you know, this is simple. I just got to figure out how many properties I need. Each property making $250 a month, that is $3,000 a year without working in passive income. Well, 10 properties, that's $2,500 a month. That's $30,000 a year in passive income. 20 properties is $5,000 a month, $60,000 a year without working. Eventually, I knew I could quit my job. So that first property, if that first property, what I, like I said, I flew over to Ohio, found a property manager, did all that sort of stuff that they tell me to do. 
I did it the wrong way. I still own that property. It's still making me a ton of money, which is great, but I've since built the business. Now, every property that I buy, I'm able to scale it because I have my business running. I don't have to recreate the wheel every single time. Now, I just, every new city and state that I go and invest in, I always build a new business, just like I teach all my students. We build the business first, and then we buy the properties because here's the, here's the big crux of everything. When you build the business, you're gonna hire the experts that are there on the ground that are actually gonna do the work for you. Because what happens is we get stuck, oh, Zillow, that might be an expert, or Redfin, or Trulia, those are, no. Those aren't odd experts, they're just databases. You wanna find the, the realtors, the property managers, the other inspectors, insurance agents. You wanna find all these great people that are gonna work in your business who are experts on the ground there they're going to help you to make sure that you're running your business right. So that was a definitely a long explanation of how I got my first property, but then subsequently got to 30 plus properties now. Oh, that's great. It's funny. The very first person who I interviewed, this is two and a half years ago now for the podcast was uh, Tyler chef from the Cash Flow guys. And that's exactly what he said. He said, figure out how to make yourself a hundred dollars a month, you know, a month in passive income, and then just keep on doing it until you have enough money, you know? And you're absolutely right. You, you know, people think, okay, I've got to find one thing that's going to make me, you know, $6,000 a month. No, you don't have to find one thing. <laughs> you can find a whole bunch of things or, or it's one type of thing, but it's not one, you know, one property, whatever, one idea, one business idea, whatever. So now do you own, you know, you're talking about you, Ohio, you're in Arizona now, right? So yes. are all of your properties all over the country or do you have ones that are- Yeah, well, in? three different states, Ohio, Texas, and Arizona. Um, so I, I like the Midwest a lot. In fact, when I'm coaching my students, they usually ask me a question, well, where should I invest? And my goal is not to just tell them where to invest. I love teaching people how to fish instead of giving them a fish. But the Midwest has been terrific. Anytime we jump on a coaching call, a group coaching that I do or anything like that, I say, hey, yeah, I know you guys really want to find out where to invest. Let me just start searching in like five minutes. We'll be able to find a brand new city that I've never looked at and I'll show you how I would invest. And so I found the Midwest down in the Carolinas, down in the Florida are terrific, terrific places to invest in. And I, a lot of people, you know, they might say something like, well, how are you finding properties for under a hundred thousand dollars? I'm like, yes, if you don't live on the coastlines, there are properties that have, you know, the less uh, value and their people can buy them for much cheaper. So we like buying properties anywhere from like, you know, $75,000 up to $200,000 because the cash flow is so much better. But here's a great thing about if you have a perspective that it's a business and it's inventory. Now you may own, or I owned, I literally owned a convenience store. I didn't eat every single type of candy bar inside the store. I didn't drink every single type of soda or whatever it might be. I don't smoke cigarettes, but I sold cigarettes. <laughs> That's inventory. Other people will consume those things. Same thing with your properties. You may not want to live in a certain state. Well, I don't even go to the states that I invested. I, like, there's no need to. I just don't need to. All my students, we figure out how to invest in other states because other people are 100% willing to. They love living there. As long as we give great properties, really good affordable housing so that they can live and live there over and over again. In fact, I started investing in 2006. And then over the years, my values have gone up, which is great, but what I love that has gone up is my cash flow because rents have gone up. I'll give you an example. One property in Ohio, literally just getting it rented like uh, last day or two, and it was originally renting when I first bought it for like $650, $675. It's literally renting for $950 now. So if you remember, 
I was making a minimum of $250 a month when I first bought the property, every single property. We don't buy properties unless we're making $250 a month in passive income. Now it's just dramatically more. So over time, rents go up. But here's the great thing. I'm creating generational wealth that I'm literally giving to my kids. And I'm also teaching them where they can invest, how to invest at the same time. So yeah, it's I love investing all over the Midwest, down in the Carolinas and Florida, really, really great areas. Excellent. So now tell me, <clears throat> oh, I just had this really good question. It just like flew out of my mind. I hate when that happens. Oh, I keep talking. I'm sorry, <laughs> Christine. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's fun. And I, I love being able to just share how it's absolutely possible to invest out of state, other areas. And the big thing is, is finding the right people in the area. Now, one, one quick thing I'll definitely give a lot of my students, what they jump to is, oh, I, Dustin, I found a great area of the country to invest. And with that area, I found five realtors to find me properties. Like, whoa, 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 slow down. Realtors are great, but that's the last thing in the long line of things that we need to do before we have a well-running business. Realtors are great. I also love wholesalers. Other investors give me deals or send me deals. Um, yeah. Property managers, title companies. So there's great ways to find deals. But if we don't have anybody to actually manage the property first, that's where it's going to be a huge headache. Imagine you did this. You did everything the gurus told you. And you bought the property, spent thousands of dollars fixing it up. Eventually, you get to the point where you're trying to find somebody to manage a property, but you can't find any property manager. Let's say the property managers that you find that might rent it, they're saying, no way, I'm not going to rent that because I'll get shot going into that area. Well, you don't have an asset anymore. You have a liability. So what we do is we first find the property managers. They're going to help us. And anywhere in the country, as long as we find the right property manager in the city, wherever it is, they're going to make sure that we're investing in the right areas. Now, what I love to do is ask them questions like, what about this area? What about that area? Where would you invest? Or even, hey, here's a property. Would you uh, manage the property? If they say, no, I won't manage it. Okay, off the drawing board or no, back to the drawing board, off the, that right. property. Let's yeah. go to a different one. Those are the types of questions you want because they're going to steer you in the right direction. They're not, they're in the in it for the long haul. I want my property managers to be working with me for 10, 15, 20 years. That's my goal is so that they're literally working with me. And what's great is when you find a good property manager, you're not going to even talk to them because you give them the systems and procedures and processes to run your business. They run it the way you want it. And you don't even have to worry about it. Now, a lot of people have read the book, The 4-Hour Workweek. I read it. It's a fine book and all, but I think working 40 hours a week is for suckers. I don't want to work four hours a week. I don't want to work four hours a month. I maybe work 30 minutes a month by looking at the property management statements, make sure everything's good, and then set it aside and go back to play with my kids. Because what I've done is I've created the business, given the processes and procedures and things to do in my business so they don't have to call me and as long as I verify everything's going fine, I just let them keep working. Yeah. And that's the way to do it. Like you say, like you give them, okay, you can spend up to X amount per month. If something needs to be done, you don't need totally. to call me and say, oh, the toilet's overflowing. Do you mind if I have a plumber come in? Like, really? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So Dustin, when you got started, how much money did you have to, like for this first property? Or maybe I should even say, if you would have done it, like what is the right way? How much money do you think somebody would need in order to get started? So there's a couple of thoughts. Number one, it doesn't, you, you don't need money to invest in real estate, but it is so much better when you do have money. It makes everything so much easier. In fact, when I don't take on any student that doesn't have more than 
$10,000. If they don't have $10,000 or more, it's just really hard. It's possible. Don't get me wrong. It's absolutely possible. But it's so hard on you as a student. There's so much work you got to do. Now, after my students, and this is literally what happens. It's fantastic. Students, what they do is they start with a first property because, you know, we have $10,000. We use that to invest in the first property and then move forward to where now they have, let's say, five, six, seven properties. That is when they buy properties with no money down because they are known as an investor. Just like I started telling everybody I'm an investor. They're known as an investor. They have experience. They've been able to share for the last two years what they're doing. Remember, I started telling everybody, hey, I'm an investor. I'm an investor. I'm an investor. Yeah. Then people start asking, oh, what do you invest in? Oh, you've been doing it for how long? Well, maybe I might want to invest with you. That's when the no money comes in. And then we start right. buying properties with no money, which is great. Now, I first got started, and I wouldn't say this is the wrong way, but I took all of our money. Like, literally, my <laughs> wife and I just got married. I took all of our money. Well, let me take that back. It was her money. <laughs> so I was <laughs> taught to, exactly. I was taught not to go in debt from my parents, but I was not taught to save. My wife was taught to save. So we had like $13,000 that she saved up. And then we got some wedding presents and I saved, we got to, I want to say it was like $17,000 of all of our money. And I used that to buy our first property. But then the great thing was, and this was back in 2006, I bought it as an investor. We buy it where we capture equity, where we buy it lower than it's worth. And then we have that equity, that difference there, which means we buy it for, let's say we buy it for $100,000, but it's worth $120,000. That's equity in there. If you do it right, you have enough equity that you can cash out. You can pull the cash out that of equity, and usually it's 80% at most of the value of the house. But I pulled that cash out to then buy the next property. And then I pulled that cash out of that one because I've got equity to buy the next property. And so I keep rolling that over. And what's really interesting is a lot of my students, what they do is they ask, well, Dustin, should I do this or do this or do this or do this? And it's always an or for some reason, but <laughs> it should be an and. There are so many ways to get financing, to get money for investing. I know personally of 14 different ways that I have literally used myself to buy properties. And you know what's funny, Christine? So I have a YouTube channel where I just literally give away all the stuff, how to, how to invest in real estate. And the, the videos that they need to watch, that the investors need to watch, not that they want to watch, that they need to watch are how to build a business, how to find the right property managers, how to ask the right questions of property. Those are what they need to watch. But you know what they do watch? They only watch the funding videos, how to fund the video, uh, the, the um, uh, properties and how to find. They, they only watch the funding and the finding properties. It's, it's okay. Hopefully it gets them in the outdoor to think, I need to learn how to manage these properties, get other people to build, you know, build the business, get other people to do the work. But with all that, for me, it was $17,000. I now tell all my students, you need an emergency fund. You need to be able to, if God forbid something happened where you lost your job too, you had some money to tide you over till you get a next job to then. But that's my suggestion is don't go all in with every bit of money, but at the same time, start cutting debt, cut your expenses, increase your income. Just to like, like you said, Christine, maybe just a hundred dollars a month, just from something like start making a little bit extra money. Cause the more money that you have, the easier it is to get started. But once you get started, and this is so amazing, Christine, I absolutely love this, that my students usually, before they start working with me, they're like trying to buy the property, they never do. But then when they start working with me, usually within about two or three months, they usually get under contract for the first property. And that's usually the longest, meaning they never had a property, start working with me, then two or three months and they get their first property. I kid you not, within literally a month, they already have their second property. Because here's the great thing, 
It's a system. It's a way to do it. If you do it one time, we can just duplicate it over and over and over again. And especially, like if you build a, any type of business and you buy inventory, all you got to do is figure out where to find the next piece of inventory. You got the business, you've already all the nerves all taken out. Like you, you know that you got, you know, your stuff. And then once you buy that first property, you're like, it's, it, it can be done. Let me go ahead and do it again. So usually the second property comes so much faster, like within a month, a month later. Yeah. So you're bringing up a great point, which is mindset, right? As soon as you, you know, you can do it, you understand that it's possible. Then suddenly that huge wall just melts and you're just like, oh, wow, look at this, look at this whole huge horizon that I couldn't even see before this beautiful Vista. <laughs> Absolutely. And what's great is because a lot of people asking me about like, okay, what is the, what is the number one thing I should be doing in my investing? Should I be saving for money? Should I be looking for, like, should I be doing all this sort of stuff? And really what it comes down to is getting yourself over that hurdle to realize that you can do it because I can literally teach anybody how to invest in real estate, but getting them over that hurdle in their head that they realize that they can do it, that they must do it and that they should do it and how to do it. Like yeah. all that stuff is wrapped in their brain to where they actually move forward and make and buy that first property. Th that's only on them. I can't do that for them. Now, if I literally give them a property, just like my kids, I'm not going to give a property to my kids. I'm not, I don't want them to be spoiled, uh, you know, trust fund babies. They're not. In fact, they work, they work hard because as we're growing our business, I want them to learn from the ground up. And so I'm not going to give them properties. I'm going to teach them and encourage them. Well, I'll, I'll give you a little more uh, specific. So instead of going to college, I'm not a big believer in college anymore. It's so expensive. And in the end, it's like you get a piece of paper and you hope to get a job. It's like, right. well, instead of spending $60,000, $70,000 on a piece of paper, why don't we take that money, buy a house, and then you learn how to make money. Then we could do it all over again. And in the end, you're like, my goodness, I'd make money without even working. Why would I need to go to college? Because college is just to get you to work. And so we don't need to do that. Right, exactly, exactly. So you said you're adding equity. Are you just buying right? Or are you also fixing up some of your properties? Totally. Yeah, so actually what I love, when I buy one rental property, there's six different ways that I make money. The first one, talked about already, passive income. You get all your expenses. You make sure you rent it for more. And that difference is passive income, I suggest $250 a month in passive income. So that's one, is passive income. Second one is equity capture, where we buy it for less than it's worth. The next one is forced appreciation. Just like you were just mentioning, you know, if you fix up, let's say you put five to $10,000 of work and, and uh, new, new products or new things in it, new, new carpet and all that sort of stuff, it'll hopefully make it worth $20,000 more, $25,000 more. It's like exponentially grow your money. So you capture that equity. You know, if you spend 10 grand, but it's worth 25,000 more, that's $15,000 in equity that you capture there. Another way is market appreciation. We know just over time, especially with inflation, prices just continue to go up. And so that's another one. Another one that I love is tax benefits, tax advantages. Most people, if you don't have properties, if you don't have a lot of money coming in, you're like, oh, that's great. Trust me, when you start making money, the tax benefits are amazing. As soon as you buy one property, the IRS says, hey, you can write off your cell phone. You could write off your travel. You could write off any expense. All that stuff is a write-off. And then tax benefits of uh, um, depreciation is absolutely amazing. Meaning you take that property that you own, deduct 20, over 27.5 years, deduct that entire value over, 
uh, taking off your basically your income. So it looks like you're making less. You pay less in taxes. Now, that I'll, I'll stop that because there's so much more. But the last one is also absolutely amazing. If I buy a house, I don't pay my taxes. I don't pay my mortgage. I don't pay my insurance. I don't pay repairs. I don't pay for my property manager. Like I don't have to get a job to get a property manager. Right. All those are expenses that are already caked in or booked, or, you know, baked into the cake there, the business that now my tenants pay all of that. Now the money goes into me and out through me to the bills, which totally fine, but I'm not getting a job to do all this stuff. So when I do this, I make sure that my tenants are paying for the mortgage the balance of the mortgage and the interest on top of that. So give you a round numbers, quick quick uh, example of what that would look like. Let's just say you bought a house for $100,000. And well, let me go make it a little more uh, bigger numbers. $200,000, you bought a house, $200,000, use an FHA loan, the Federal Housing Administration loan, three and a half percent down. Well, that with $200,000, that is $7,000 down out of your pocket that you have to use to buy the property. Now you have to live in there for a year, which then you move out and then you still owe $193,000 in principal plus interest while your tenants pay for $193,000 of that value of that property and every bit of interest on top of that. So that's the six ways that we make money. And it's absolutely mind blowing. Like I literally cashed out my 401ks, IRAs, took the penalties because I make so much more money in real estate. Yeah, I know. It's I don't think people can appreciate until you actually have done it and you actually start filing your first year's tax return. And you realize that everything, you know, if you have a dream about real estate, you know, or whatever, it's like, oh, putting this down as an expense. Oh my right? goodness, absolutely. Everybody I eat with, we always talk about real estate, you know. A hundred percent. Every trip, we're always looking at real estate, looking at properties. Yes, exactly. absolutely. Exactly. And it's it's legal. You know, this is not some kind of crazy scam, right? This is the way that the tax code is set up because big surprise, right? People who have money have real estate and people who make the laws, they've got the money. So... They're making that's some laws that are right. and, themselves. And that's where the rich, the wealthy keep their money in real estate. Now that's where they store that wealth. Like they'll make it other ways, but they keep it in real estate because it's locked in that value. Real estate only goes up over time. It only yeah. goes up. Now it'll go down a little bit, but it'll eventually go up. The houses I bought in 2006 and 2007 and eight before the crash. Yeah, it the values went down, which was a bummer. But now it's literally back up and above and beyond where it crashed from. So, right. and again, remember, I don't worry about appreciation. It'll be great eventually, but I'll give these properties literally to my kids. That's who I'm going to be giving these properties to. But here's another great thing. I take that equity. Let's say I have $100,000 in equity. I do a cash out refinance on that property. It's a tax-free loan to buy the next property to make even more money. Oh, there's so many amazing things about real estate investing. Exactly. I know. I, I a hundred percent agree. hundred percent agree. Now, do you have a sort of a, an end game, a goal of like, you want to have so many properties or whatever? What's your, where are you sort of shooting for? Oh man, I really enjoyed that question. Here's the reason why. So when I was 27 years old, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad and he said, or Robert Kiyosaki said his goal was 10 years to be able to quit his job. And I said, that's a good goal. Let me do that. So I said, by the time I'm 37, I'm going to quit my job. And it's not just a goal. It's a deadline where if even if I need to quit because I don't have any uh, means to actually provide for myself, that's a deadline. Like I'm burning the bridges. Like I, I'm going to quit my job no matter what. So I bought property after property. Eventually, I was blessed to be able to 
accomplished my goal, walk away from my job. Now, here's this funny thing, Christine. After about one or two years of not having another goal, I started feeling like, oh man, I'm just kind of, I'm kind of floundering. Like it's not that big of a deal. Like I'm not pressured to do anything. Like there wasn't a drive uh, to sacrifice for something for something free in the future. And right. so what I realized was I needed a goal, but this goal wasn't the best goal. Here's the goal that I came up with. And it's just a monetary goal. And the reason why is because I needed to attain it. Like I know I can hit it. I said I, from all my businesses, and I love passive income, but you talked about master passive income. I mastered, at least I, I believe I master passive income by having real estate and rental properties, but there's lots of other ways to make passive income. So I have lots of business now, like literally four or five businesses make me money. And so with that, I thought, you know what? My new goal is I wanna make a million dollars a year in profit from all of my businesses because it's just a quantitative goal to be able yeah. to reach. But here's yeah. the downside about that. I did not care, I, I, about a year and a half, two years of doing that, that uh, goal, I was not motivated by that goal. I have money, we're, we're blessed. Now it'd be great to have a million dollars, but it wasn't motivating me. It's but here's what I realized. Yeah, it wasn't driving me at all because I didn't need anything, I was fine. But here's what happened. As I started coaching more and more people how to invest in real estate, I got so overjoyed when I saw my students being able to buy their first property. And then my students quitting their job because they've done it too. I got so much more joy out of that than any money that I made because all my needs are taken care of. I don't, I'm not worried about anything else. So now I'm so much more overjoyed in serving people. Now, here's my new goal. My new goal is to now help 1 million people to invest in real estate. Now it's a huge lofty goal. In fact, that's why I created the Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference. We had the first one, it was here in Phoenix in March, it was beautiful. And we had 200 people, 27 speakers, 15 uh, sponsors. It was phenomenal. Everybody absolutely loved it. It's called Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference, RubeCon for short. I just had to make a short uh, pithy name for it. But that's on my way to accomplishing my new goal of helping 1 million people to invest in real estate. Because what I found, the more that I serve people, and it started with real estate, if I serve my tenant by having a great property at a good price that they can afford, that's not you know jacking the price up high and everything like that. But if I do that, I make money and their lives do well. And then I started teaching people, having this my my own podcast, my podcast is literally just me coaching people how to do it, like not coaching, but like, I just, just me. I don't rarely do interviews, it's just me talking about how to do this. And I realized, I, people were reaching out to me, hey, just because your podcast, I bought this duplex, or I started house hacking, or I started doing this. I got so much more joy from that than any money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so from there, I started coaching. And that was like light bulb. I love helping people. And so the more people that I serve in my life, the better my life gets, the better, better everybody else's life gets. So now, I appreciate you asking the question. Long way to answer that, a million people. That's my new goal, a million people to invest in real estate. That is a fantastic goal. And I think it's true. You reach a certain point where you're like, financial goals just don't cut it, right? You, you re it's just really not, you have Absolutely. never been motivated to reach, you know, maybe you could get motivated to pay off all your bills or something, but to say, oh, I have X amount of money in the bank or coming in or anything. It's just not that, it doesn't really fire you up. You really need like, yeah, how can I give back? How can I really just like get that feeling of like, oh my God, I helped this person change their whole life, right? I mean, you have that power when you teach people about real estate. That's fantastic. Absolutely. And one thing that I start, as I'm going through this journey, I realized that there are four different legacies that we should leave in our life and have in our life. So the first one is a money legacy. That's the first hurdle, having enough money to do what we want when we want to do it and buy what we want. That's the, and pay our bills. Like that's, a, you know, financial freedom. First legacy is money. 
I was blessed to be able to do that at 37 years old. The second one is time. So money leads into time. So when you have more money, you have more time. So leaving that time legacy where you can do, go, where do they literally have time to do whatever you want. Kill time if you want. Like you literally have time. The third one is a relationship legacy. So money leads into time. Time leads you into building up your relationships. Nobody on their deathbed ever looks back and said, man, I wish I worked harder. Man, I wish I would have had more money. No, no, no. They look right. back and say, man, it's all about the people, my family. And so building up your relationship with your family, with your spouse, with your uh, uh, people around your community, your neighbors, your church, whatever it might be, developing that relationship. So I was blessed to have money, then time, then relationships. Now the last legacy, this is a legacy that I'm on now, is service legacy. Trying to serve so many more people because like I said, my life just gets better and better and better the more people that I served. As soon as I realized that, I said, give me more of that. So now on that service legacy, getting on po great podcasts like you and talking to great people like you, Christine, is just something that I enjoy. It pumps me up because it's exciting because I, man, I can help so many more people as best I can. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. That's fantastic. So you've already given us, I mean, I think I understand sort of your daily life now. I mean, what, what is like a typical kind of day look like for you? So I used to wake up at 4.30 every morning when I had a job, that J-O-B, that just overbroke job. 4.30, then I would go to the gym at 5, work out for an hour, and then go to work. Literally had a business. So from 7 a.m. to uh, by 8 o'clock, I did my business, opened the business up. Then I went to my job, worked there until 5, then went back to my business, and then closed up at 9 o'clock, went to bed. And with my family, wife and, you know, two or three kids at the time. Fast forward now, I knew that wasn't sustainable, but I did that as delayed gratification for where I am now. I needed to do that to get to the point where I literally have all the time in the world. So this is what a typical day looks like to me. So I'll wake up at, I don't know, seven o'clock in the morning, whenever I want to, just kind of wake up, roll out of bed. I'll uh, get some coffee, go to the gym, come back, look at my emails, um, hang out with the family. And when I say look at me emails, it's literally looking at deals. I have so many deals coming to me from other investors to wholesalers to realtors. I just look at deals on the email. And if I like it, I buy it. It takes me a couple hours of my own time to buy that property. And I have other people do the work. But then after I look at my emails, I'll jump in maybe one or two podcasts, talk to people, do some coaching like tonight. I literally have a group coaching where I'm coaching my students all together. We all jump on a Zoom call. We all encourage each other and I coach them through stuff. Um, but that's really it. And then I go help and serve at my church and just play with my kids and hang out with my family and go on dates with my wife. So it's literally whatever I want. And also I, I do, I gotta say, we love to travel. COVID threw a wrench in it. But yeah. in 2017, after I quit my job, we went on a six week trip throughout all of Japan, drove on the left-hand side of Japan, 2000 miles driving all through for six weeks, which was fantastic. Yeah. We also homeschool our kids. So that also gives us that the ability helps, yeah, to a lot travel more freedom a lot. that way. Totally. 2018, we went to Europe for six weeks, 11 different countries, amazing trip, traveling all through all over Europe. And in 2019, we went basically we considered a field trip. We flew into Florida. I had a podcasting conference that I went in Florida. And the next month was another conference in Washington, D.C. So I said, hey, let's just do a month long trip driving from Florida all the way to Washington, D.C. and in New York, sightseeing and, and field trip, you know, all the, you know, Gettysburg and all that sort of stuff. And so we did that. 2020 was kind of rough. 2021, we didn't do as much. We did a little bit of traveling. But 2022, we're hoping to do some more big traveling. But that's what we can do when you have the money and the time and the relationships and service. Now you can do really whatever you want. Yeah. How old are your kids? 13, 12, almost 11, and 9. Wow. 
So you're starting, you said you were starting to bring them into the business so that if, I mean, starting at that age, can you imagine? I really, I, I love talking to parents who are successful and that they're bringing their kids on. I mean, one of the women in my mastermind group, she and her son have written a book. He's like nine years old, you know, I'm just like, so <laughs> it impresses so cool. me so much, right? Because you figure it took us till whatever age to figure these things out for ourselves. If you give your kids this at such a young age, they're just going to be ugh, astronomical success. It's fantastic. That's, I mean, honestly, it's proximity to who they're around that's going to yeah. actually, uh, they're going to. I think kids rise to the level that you put them to. So if you're always, you know, lowering it, lowering the bar to them, they're not going to aspire. They're not going to be able to grow. Like my fourth child, the youngest, now we homeschool. So they're all learning at the same time, not the same things every single time. But when my wife's doing, let's say history or something, she's talking to my 13 year old as like maybe 14 or 15, like she's trying to build them up. But my nine year old is listening and she's done that ever since she was born. She's listening and she's growing to be like the 13 year old. So she's already reaching that. And so with the real estate wealth builders conference that I put on, my kids were working in the conference. Like I had my daughter at the registration table and I had so many people, cause these are all entrepreneurs and in, uh, investors. They were so like excited. Like, I'm so glad to see your kids there. It inspires me to make sure that I'm teaching my kids right. all this sort of stuff and bringing them along. I'm like, that's what it's about. If yeah. they're just in proximity with all these great people and seeing what we do, they're going to be brought along right along with us. Exactly. And effortlessly, you don't have to pound them and say, you know, like study, do your homework, whatever. No, they're just like excited to be part of your world. You know, and that's amazing. hundred percent. Fantastic. So this is Dustin. I've, I love talking with you. Can you just like, what would you say? Cause our time is like gone already. <clears throat> if so, so you meet someone in the elevator, they say, Oh gee, I've always wanted to do that. Like, like just a couple little pieces of advice that you would give to somebody who you didn't have a chance to coach at that moment, but you just wanted to keep them excited about it. So uh, two things that I'll definitely give. Number one is passive income. Stop working for somebody else as as quickly as you can. Stop working one hour to get paid for that one hour. You're, get, you're paid then and there. When I buy one rental property, I work three hours, like literally of my own personal time, it's just three hours. Then I have other people do all the work and I make money year after year after year, and I'll give these to my kids. So focus on passive income. Now, rental properties is one. There's other things, like you mentioned, writing a book, you know, having a podcast, you have a YouTube channel. Um, all these things are types of po- uh, uh, passive income, which I love passive income. Another thing is build the business first. So passive income, as well as build the business. Now, the Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference, it's not necessarily passive income because we work one time, we have an event, and then we're done. But what I did was I build the business, and I have my employees, the people working for me, they do great work, better than I would do. And I employ them. They have a great job. They really enjoy what they're doing. If they wanted to be like me, they can aspire to do that and, and you know, change their life. But right. they love working. Then I'm like, I'll give you a great job. So I create businesses that are passive for me, where my value is on building the business to making the business better and better. But what happens is I'm employing other people so that they're working so passive for me. So passive income and building the business. Now, if we want to talk about real estate, I definitely gave you a lot of key things that you need to do. Build the business first. Make sure you're finding the right property managers first and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, definitely. Fantastic. Excellent. So, Dustin, like I said, our time has just like gone by in a flash. But um, is there anything that you wish I would have asked you? Is there anything that you really want to share with people that I didn't touch on or I didn't think of? I think it comes down to 
making that decision on your own to, because it took me literally getting laid off. I would like for everybody to hear that story and realize that it's, and the saying's true. And I always thought, oh, that, that saying is not going to come true to me, but it did. It's not if you get, if you lose your job, get fired or laid off. It's not if, it's when you're eventually going to lose your job. It took that for me to actually change my life and say, no more, I'm done. I knew I wanted to, but life got in the way. That was my catalyst. Now, a smart person learns from their own mistakes, which is great. Don't get me wrong. That's great. But a wise person learns from other people's mistakes. Learn from my mistake and learn from all the other people's mistakes. And here's another quote I'm going to give you. I love this quote, or it's a proverb, I think. When is the best time to plant a tree? Well, it was 20 years ago. The next best time is literally today. Plant that tree today. And I don't want you in 20 years from now thinking back, oh man, I was listening to Christine's podcast. I, I heard Dustin, they were all talking about doing it. I wish I would have started 20 years ago. Don't do that. Start today because in 20 years from now, you're going to say, I'm so glad I planted that tree 20 years ago when I listened to Christine's awesome podcast and I've now changed my life. And now I don't have to work. I can travel the world, do whatever I want. Exactly. Exactly. Fantastic. Fantastic point. Thank you, Dustin, so much for being with us today and sharing all your wisdom and you, you know the hard knocks that you've <laughs> recovered from. And thank you, listener, for being with us today. I know that you got a lot out of what Dustin has shared. And I know you know somebody who would also like to hear what he has to say, somebody who's been kind of wishing and hoping and dreaming about getting into real estate. Um, Dustin, how can people reach you if they want to join your coaching program? Yeah, totally. Well, before we even get there, I, I love, like I said, just serving. I have a free course. Do you mind if I share, just give that no, out please. to everybody? Absolutely. Awesome. So I have a free real estate investing course. I'll just give it to you to walk you through literally even in depth, everything I just talked about. If you text the word rental, R-E-N-T-A-L, rental to 33777, rental to 33777. I'll literally give it to you, show you how to find an area of the country to invest, how to build the business first, how to make sure that you're buying the right properties, making $250 a month or more and scaling that business so you can quit your job and be successfully unemployed. You also have my, my Master Passive Income podcast. Like I said, it's literally just me just teaching how to do this stuff. My YouTube channel, go to just find Master Passive Income. Literally just me showing you how to do this YouTube, or not YouTube, all my YouTube videos, how to do this investing thing. But then, yeah, if you want, you can also find me on masterpassiveincome.com. If you go to masterpassiveincome.com forward slash free course, that's where you can also get the free course. But on Master Passive Income, I give away so much stuff, but my coaching is on there. Tab at the top, just click on the coaching button. I'm there to help you out. But it's been great, Christine. I really hope that people can see that it's so possible. If we can do it, anybody can. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. And don't ever think it's too late. I mean, I, after knowing about real estate investing pretty much my entire life, it wasn't until I was 50 years old that I finally got started. So talk about planting a tree 20 years ago, so, <laughs> because I had had a bad experience when I was 22 years old. Okay. So it took me 28 oh, more years mean. to like get work up the guts to do what you were able to do by just saying, I think I can do this a little better than I just did. But yeah. And, um, all of those links, of course, are going to be in the show notes. So thanks again for being here. Thank you, listener, for listening. I know you have a choice of about 2 million podcasts, so I appreciate the fact that you're here. And I want to announce that we are now up to 47 countries. We're in 47 countries. I'm so excited. We just added Costa Rica and Uzbekistan. So welcome. And thank you for being here. You know, my goal is 50, but then, of course, I'll have a new goal. <laughs> 
But yeah, so thanks for helping me to get really close to that 50 and have a fantastic week. See you next week.